The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. So I picked up a Tesco plastic bag, um, some some clear soft plastic that was wrapped around a, a bit of lettuce and a, a lentil puff wrapper. And I glued or taped tiny digital trackers into each of them and I deposited them at three different Tesco stores in London. And then I spent the next two weeks glued to my phone. From Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio, it's The Big Take. I'm Wes Kosova today... You know that plastic bag that you toss into the recycling bin? What really happens to that thing? Like a lot of people, I try to do my part by recycling. But I always do wonder how much, if any, of that plastic I dutifully place at the curb each week is ever really turned into something else. The good news is, today's show answers that question. The bad news, you are not going to like the answer. No one voted for more plastic in our lives, but we are buried in plastic because it's cheap. That's Judith Enk. She's a former administrator with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and now she's president of Beyond Plastics. That's a group in Vermont that advocates for less plastic waste. Plastic production will double in the next 20 years. And at the same time, plastic recycling has been an abysmal failure. I asked Judith for a quick explainer on why that is. Plastics traditionally have been made from chemicals and oil, but now it's mostly made from chemicals and ethane, which is a waste product of gas hydrofracking. So what once was a waste that was flared into the atmosphere is now, in a few instances, being captured and sent by pipeline to new gigantic plastic production facilities with the funny name of ethane crackers. So the gas is heated at a really high temperature and cracked, and then billions of little plastic pellets are created that's then used to make single-use plastic packaging. Everyone should keep recycling paper, metal, glass, and only plastic that has the little tiny number on the bottom, number one or number two. Those are resin codes. But most plastics in the United States does not get recycled. So now we see a massive amount of plastic waste going to Indonesia, Vietnam, the Philippines, Turkey, and more recently, Africa. You have talked about how only plastics that have that number one or number two in the little recycling triangle that we see on all the plastics, um, that only those are recycled. So why don't we just make all the plastic out of those? We could. We have to create a law to require it, though. 
You know, and I, I want to explain why we have such an abysmally low recycling rate uh, for plastics. If you have uh, a, a newspaper, you can put that newspaper when you're done reading it into your recycling bin. Chances are it'll get recycled into a new newspaper or a cardboard box, and it can be recycled, not forever, but a significant time it can go around. Aluminum can can get recycled into aluminum can. The challenge with plastics is there are hundreds of different types of plastics. Um, they're all different resins. They all have different toxic chemical additives and different colorants. So think of your own home. You might have a bright orange hard plastic detergent bottle near your, your um, washing machine. And then your refrigerator might have a squeezable, clear, soft ketchup bottle. You can't recycle those two types of plastics together. Uh, the recycling process for plastics just doesn't work because it's such a heterogeneous waste stream. So Number one and number two plastics do have a market, particularly beverage bottles that have deposits on them because that material is kept separate and clean. So your idea is a good one, uh, but it would be fought vigorously by big plastic because they want to be able to make any kind of plastic, any color, any chemical additive and sell it to you and I the problem is once they sell it to us, their responsibility ends. And then you and I as taxpayers are stuck uh, with the cost of properly collecting, processing, and disposing of all of this. Judith Hang, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. So if a lot of the plastic we throw away can't be recycled, where does it go? Kit Shalel, an investigative reporter for Bloomberg, set out to find the answer to that very question. And he joins me now from London. Hey, Wes. So, Kit, you and uh, Wojciech Moskva, your Bloomberg colleague, actually set out to find out what actually happens to that bag when you put it in the recycler. And you went about it in a clever way. Can you describe what you did? Well, we, we had an enticing mystery to unravel, really, which is, you know, what happens to this stuff once we put it in the trash can? And, you know, I had a I did some researching online and, and I made a few phone calls and it was incredibly difficult to get a clear answer to that. No one really seemed to know. Not the waste companies, not the consumer companies that sell plastic goods. It was all a bit uncertain. And I'd heard rumours from environmental activists that... Most of, it, most of the UK's supermarket trash goes to Poland or a significant portion of it goes to Poland. Um, but, I, you know, I couldn't be certain. I figured the only way to know for sure, the only way to really get that answer would be to, to track it. Yeah, I wanted to look at Tesco, which is the UK's biggest supermarket uh, chain. And it also is one that makes a big play of its ability to recycle soft plastics, which are really hard to recycle. And why are they so hard to recycle? Soft plastic, uh, you know, it's it's because they are a mess of different um, chemicals and products all blended together for specific purposes. There's not one type of plastic. There's, you know, several different kinds and each of them contain different additives. And all those additives have to be either taken out um, or combined together 
to make a, a good quality recycled plastic. If you just take a bunch of soft plastic stuff and put it together and try to recycle it, what comes out is unusable goo. Um, so it all has to be separated. It all has to be uh, has have all the chemi chemical additives cleverly taken out, and it's a really difficult process. It's a reason why only about one or two percent of that stuff, even in the in Europe, gets recycled. So I picked up a Tesco plastic bag, um, some some clear soft plastic that was wrapped around a, a bit of lettuce, and a, a lentil puff wrapper. And I glued or taped tiny digital trackers into each of them, and I deposited them at three different Tesco stores in London. And then I spent the next two weeks glued to my phone. When you say you deposited them at the stores, they were recycling bins at the store where you would put it in, and then the assumption is they're going to take it away and recycle it. Exactly. They 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 invited their customers to 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 bring back their soft plastics and put them in these special white bins displayed prominently at the front of the store with the idea that they would be recycled. And so the so the assumption is they're going to be taken someplace in London or close by, and there's a recycling facility. None of us really knows. Frankly, none of us is really asking that many questions because we're just assuming that somebody else is going to take care of this problem for us. Well, the natural assumption is that your plastic packaging is going to get turned into new plastic packaging. That's what most people understand by recycling. You know, my bottle is going to become a new bottle. My crisp wrapper will become a new soft plastic wrapper. Um, turns out that wasn't the case. So so exactly what did you find? You've taped, glued all these little trackers in and sent them on their way. And then what did you do? I watched them ping across Europe, basically. Um, the first one uh, circled the M25, which is a ring road around London, and then disappeared in the middle of the Thames. Um, to this day, I have no idea what happened to it. I can only assume that it was shaken off a lorry or something and, and just made its way into the waterway. But the other two... Um, uh, also circled the M25, and then they went to the UK's biggest port, uh, which is at Felixstowe, uh, a place called Harwich. Um, and then, and I could see them boarding a ferry terminal, and they were shipped over to the Netherlands. Both of them together, they were in the same load. They weren't in the same load. They took the almost exact same routes at a couple of days apart. So there was obviously a network here of of, of trash coming from the Tesco system, uh, going through this this specific port and then going to the same place. And I watched these things ping their way across Europe. They quickly went through the Netherlands. Um, they crossed Germany uh, uh, west to east in the space of about 24 hours. And then both trackers landed at the exact same spot in Poland, which is a, a small town called Zielonogora. After the break, my conversation with Kit Shalel continues. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, Poland, why Poland? That's, that's the big question. You know, why, why would you uh, expend all these resources shipping plastic garbage from London to Poland? And the simple answer is that it's much, much cheaper to dispose of plastic waste 
uh, Poland than it is in the UK. Now, is the assumption that that was the end of this experiment, that that is where these plastic items wound up? Yeah, I, I had a feeling it wasn't the end of the journey. We actually, me and my colleague uh, Wojciech, we, we, we visited the site in Jelonogora, uh, which is a vast warehouse with plastic piled up outside. Um, and it was pretty clear that they weren't doing the recycling in there. It, you know, it, it didn't have huge amounts of industrial machinery or smokestacks coming out. What it looked like was a, was a massive storage depot. And we learned that that, that actually was the case. Jelonogoro is a stopover point for plastic on the way somewhere else. And so both bits of plastic that ended up there stayed there for a couple of weeks and then moved on somewhere else. I imagine you went to Tesco and showed them your findings. What did they say? Tesco's stance is that um, they have a relationship with a supplier who handles this waste for them, that they uh, regularly check the supplier to ensure that the waste is being disposed of properly and that all the garbage that they collect um, is, you know, is sent to a recycling centre as best they can work out. So what they do is they contract with another supplier and then the supplier certifies to them that it's being handled correctly. And from there, Tesco's view is that their responsibility for the plastic has been satisfied. Exactly. Kit, you happen to put these trackers in a Tesco bag, uh, but we should say that Tesco is just one of thousands and thousands of uh, places where you can find these bags that everyone, every retailer, everyone uses them. Yeah, that's right. Tesco isn't the only company doing this. In fact, the idea of soft plastic recycling came from the major U.S. supermarket chains where you can still, there are places where you can deliver your soft plastics outside store. It's an appealing solution because um, it means that they can uh, attempt to affect change without relying on local government or local companies to collect the waste for them. It gets delivered to their doorstep. So was that the end of the journey for these trackers? Uh, or did they continue to move on from Poland to other countries? The trackers continue to work. And uh, we watched one of them travel all the way across West Poland uh, through to the east to another small town where they were delivered to an industrial facility and then disappeared. Uh, We suspect they were burned for energy there, although we don't know for sure. And the other tracker uh, took a much more interesting route. It went dead for several weeks and then it finally pinged its location in southern Turkey. In southern Turkey. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where it met its end, the tracker at least. I wish I could say that I knew that was the case. But we again, we, we sent a reporter to the site where, where um, the tracker was pinging its location from. And there was a huge pile of terrible quality mixed plastic dumped in a yard. Uh, I say dumped. Uh, we spoke to someone who, who said that they'd bought the plastic from a waste broker and they were planning to sell it on for recycling purposes. So it could have gone to a recycler in Turkey. Um, It could have been exported again to a recycler in Asia. Um, Frankly, no one knows for sure. Uh, We'll never know the answer. It could also have just been uh, buried or dumped or burned. We don't know. Kit Shalal, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. Coming up, that plastic bag's journey doesn't end there. That's after the break. The countdown has begun. 
This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm joined by Matt Campbell, Asia editor for Bloomberg Business Week. He is based in Singapore. Matt, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Wes. Matt, we've been talking today about the very strange and convoluted path that plastics, that plastic bottle you throw away, takes throughout the world uh, after you put it in what you think is a recycling bin uh, and often winds up in a big pile halfway around the world. And you went out to actually see what that looks like when all of this trash reaches the end of the line. And you went to Thailand. Can you just describe what you saw? Because it is really something. That's right, Wes. So something that I didn't know about uh, the plastic industry uh, and really the the waste industry generally is there is a huge uh, long-haul waste export trade. So uh, I uh, visited recycling facilities uh, around Thailand, mostly in the industrial belt that extends from Bangkok along the coast, where uh, there is a very large and very profitable recycling industry that is based partly, not entirely, but to a substantial effect on uh, imported waste from elsewhere in the world. So these are uh, huge loads of plastic that come from, uh, in the main, wealthier countries and are sent to Southeast Asia to be dealt with. Matt, so when you went to Thailand and you saw the effects of all of these bottles and other uh, throwaway containers that ended up in Thailand, what did you see? What did it actually look like? Well, I did get some glimpses of what the recycling industry uh, really looks like in practice. There was one moment which was really kind of unforgettable uh, seeing a, a woman, a middle-aged Thai woman, in sort of covered up head to toe, I guess, to avoid getting gunk on her, just sitting in a huge pile of plastic bottles, methodically peeling away the labels. And the reason for that is that uh, when these things do go into a plastic facility where they have to be melted down and, and reconstituted into new packaging, you don't want anything extraneous on them. So if you do have someone there peeling the labels off, you can get 20% more for each kilogram of plastic. A lot of it, first of all, does not get recycled in any way. The vast majority of plastic waste in the world is not recycled. It's just dumped or burned. And why is that? There are a number of reasons for it. Uh, One is infrastructure. You know, in many uh, developing countries in particular, uh, there is not enough recycling infrastructure to handle the volumes of plastic that the plastic industry, uh, which, if you like, comprises consumer companies, you know, Coke, Pepsi, as well as the, the petrochemical companies that actually produce the raw materials for plastic, big oil, you know, Exxon, Shell, BP. They've pumped more plastic into the world than there are recycling plants to handle. So a a huge amount is never recycled. Now, you said that a lot of the countries where this plastic ends up don't have 
enough recycling capability to actually handle all of it. Why is it then that they keep taking more and more of it if they don't have a way to actually recycle it into something else? To understand how all of this plastic waste ended up in the places where it is now, uh, which are largely in Southeast Asia, you have to go back a few years. So for the last, oh, 30 years or so, China was the major destination for exports of waste, plastic and all other kinds of waste. There was a huge recycling industry in China. A lot of companies had uh, sprung up to deal with imported plastic from places like the US. A lot of people got very rich doing this. But uh, in 2017, the Chinese government decided that it didn't want to have this industry anymore, uh, that it was causing too many problems, too much pollution, uh, and they shut it down pretty much overnight. Uh, you know, and when China decides to do something, uh, they, they can do it in a, in a very comprehensive and effective way. So exports to China essentially disappeared over the course of a few months. Uh, but all that plastic, all that waste still had to go somewhere. It's like a balloon. If you press it down in one place, it'll pop up somewhere else. And uh, the somewhere turned out to be Southeast Asia, uh, especially actually Malaysia, uh, very close to where I'm sitting now where there was a huge surge of plastic coming into kind of fly-by-night recycling factories that had all popped up very, very quickly, often uh, unlicensed, unregulated, totally illegal. Uh, and also Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam, uh, and other countries around the region because you needed to send this stuff to places with minimal environmental standards, cheap labor, and uh, in many cases, uh, officials who were easy to pay off uh, so that if you did get in trouble, you could still bring, keep bringing in these loads of waste. You met a man, uh, I believe, in Bangkok who had a recycling plant move in right next door. Can you describe sort of what happened to his life after that happened? This was a, a really remarkable experience. I, I met a man in the, in the Bangkok suburbs named uh, Vinyu Jiramankong. And uh, Vinyu uh, has a house uh, on a quiet street. Uh, and in 2020, uh, what was a storage yard next to his house was uh, suddenly turned into a small-scale plastic recycling plant. And the and so the factory is right here. Where would the fumes come from? From this side? From from this hole and this hole. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they have an extractor fan. Environmental groups have found a really terrible environmental effects around plastic recycling facilities all over the world. So in Vinyu's case. He suddenly noticed these very intense, acrid fumes floating into his house. And uh, particularly alarming, uh, he started finding dead birds on his lawn. When you would find dead pigeons, was it around here? Yes, yes, it's everywhere. All over the front of all, the house? All around, yes. So if this is killing pigeons, it's yes. pretty bad. Yes, it's going to kill my family too. So I, I have to let it go. And leave this house? Yes, leave the house. He and his wife began to get sick. They got headaches, nausea. He developed a, a red, itchy patch of skin just below his nostrils. And it was very clear to him that uh, what had happened was a result of this plastic plant operating. Now, I should say that the company that runs the plastic plant has, has always denied this. Uh, they say they comply with environmental regulations and, and that they responded to venues' complaints. But what he did tell me uh, at his home, which he's now sold, 
was exactly in line with what environmental experts would expect to see from a, a poorly ventilated uh, plastic waste recycling facility. Right. Even since this morning, this morning you still have a strong smell. Strong smell this morning. Yes. Inside the house. When you woke up. No, no, no. I, I cannot sleep here, right? Oh, I see. I, I, I come here and I put open the house. And inside the house has a strong smell of the chemistry. Wow, okay. So I need to, I need to use the inside fan open and, and blow it out to, to make a ventilation. Right. So what is uh, Thailand's government doing about this? As you can imagine, being a dumping ground for waste from other countries, richer countries, is not popular. It's very rarely popular. And, and in a number of countries uh, in this region, in Southeast Asia, there have been political efforts to restrict plastic imports. So Thailand is no exception. Uh, it is in the process of bringing in a phased ban on plastic waste imports that will, uh, based on the current uh, model they're looking at, take effect from 2025. It will be fairly strict. There, there won't be a lot of exceptions to it. There don't appear to be many loopholes, which is quite different from what we've seen in, in some other Southeast Asian countries. But I think it's, it's important to remember, it's very hard to enforce this, and it's very hard to enforce it in countries that don't have the kind of capabilities that the U.S. or, or European governments do. There's a lot of illegal waste shipment. There's a lot of corruption and bribery throughout this region. And even if a country like Thailand does succeed in curbing plastic imports, you may see another example of the balloon phenomenon I mentioned earlier. All of this plastic has to go somewhere. It cannot be recycled uh, in the countries where it is generated because there isn't enough capacity. So it may go next to Myanmar or Laos or, or places in Africa that have even less capacity to deal with it than a country like Thailand. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time. Of course, very happy to. And you can find more reporting from Bloomberg's journalist Kit Shalal and Matthew Campbell on Bloomberg.com. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Read today's story and subscribe to our daily newsletter at Bloomberg.com slash Big Take. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicky Bergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Our producer is Federica Romaniello. Our associate producer is Zenib Siddiqui. Rafael Amsili is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
title sponsor, Amazon, official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.